How about we stand up? Let's honor God's word. I'm going to read it, and I want you to really think through verses 19 through 24 as I read it. And I want you to try your best. Sometimes it's hard, but I want you to try your best to really focus on putting you into the text as God puts the text into you. So let this be from God to you. So God is speaking to you, and he's speaking to me. And I'll read it, but this is from the Lord to each of us. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body would be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, then, the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will have the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's go ahead and be seated. We let the word of God be its authority over us. And I wanted you to hear that as if God were speaking straight to you, because in fact, he is. And as we get rolling in this message, I'm going to start out talking about those who have tried to bring their treasure forward. You cannot bring it into the grave. There is not anything that you own on earth that you can bring into the grave with you. It ends on earth. But there are ways that we can send treasure forward. And I want us as a Christian church to really deliberate with the question, am I living in such a way that most of the treasure that I am moving after, that my heart is pursuing, is that which will survive my death and greet me in the eternal life ahead of me? Let's get started with William Wise of Tennessee. He was buried in 1960 with his horse, poor horse. His best hunting dog was buried with him and a sword. You see, here's why, and he explained why he wanted this, these instructions he gave. He was sure he was going to go to hell, and he was determined to track down the devil and kill him. He needed his horse and sword to do it. But then you've got the oil socialite, her name was Sandra West, buried behind the steering wheel of her Ferrari. Intent, she said, on driving right through the pearly gates. Now these are literally true stories. These aren't people that you, they, you know, fake news. This isn't uh, even, you know, what's the, uh, the Christian one, the Babylon Bee, which I absolutely love. This is real, and this really did happen. You got Frank Sinatra. Did you know that Frank Sinatra was buried with a flask of Jack Daniels and a pack of Camel's cigarettes? But as they say, and you've heard it as much as I have, you don't see hearses pulling U-Haul trailers. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. And this is what we're about to learn. So I want you to just grab hold of what I just said. You cannot take it with you. And by the way, let's just get really sober for a moment. And some of us, and by the way, cut out age being the reason why I'm saying this. Some of us, regardless of your age, are closer to death than others. And you might be 18. You don't know what's going to happen tonight. Right? You don't know what's going to happen next week. You might be 70, and the Lord gives you in his favor 30 more years. You just don't know. None of us know when that final moment will be. But so what I'm going to ask you to do throughout this entire message is to just keep answering that question based on that statement that I just read. You cannot take it with you, but you can send it ahead. How do you do that? Well, at the end of this message, I'm going to help you understand how do you lay up treasures in heaven. But we're going to start out with noticing there's kind of a, an interesting pattern throughout these verses that we just read. We're going to look at two types of treasure, 
the Lord is going to teach us two kinds of eyes or perspectives. And then we're going to look at two masters, and you're going to follow one of them. You're going to live from one of them. And that's our outline for, you, for us today. Two, two types of treasures. Here we go, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So we've got two different treasures. It's very simple. And by the way, nothing, and I mean nothing, is complicated in this message. It's very simple. Hopefully it's, real, it's very real. You've got two different treasures. You've got treasures on earth, and you've got treasures in heaven. Now, I know that all of us, I don't think there's an exception, truly understand what it means treasures on earth. I'm not sure all of us really understand what it means treasures on heaven. And I don't think all of the, all of the answers to that question, what are treasures on heaven, is going to be answered today. Can I, can I give you just a, um, maybe an encouragement? I preached a series a couple years ago. Actually, it's been one of the favorite series on, for me that I've ever preached because it impacted me so greatly. I learned so much in it. It's called 360-degree giving. And can I encourage you that maybe you might want to check that out. It's on the website. That's going to start answering a lot more. What are treasures in heaven? And really, how do you lay them forward? How do you send them forward? Did you know that those whom you lead to Christ. Now listen to this. Those whom you lead to Christ are called the friends that you're going to have in heaven. And when you go through those gates, when you enter into eternity, those friends will be there as a parade applauding your entrance. Did you understand that? Did you know the Bible teaches that? So one of the treasures in heaven that you send forward are those who you faithfully share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. And if they come to know Jesus, they will be one of your treasures that you will enjoy for eternity. If you want to know what those are, go to 360-degree giving. But the Bible devotes, this is amazing, over 2,000 verses on the subject of money. I mean, come on, that's amazing. 2,000 verses on how to handle possessions. In fact, let me give you a little bit of more, uh, some factoids. 16 out of 38 parables that Jesus gave in his Gospels are all about the subject of money. He talked about money five times more than he talked about any other subject in the Bible. I mean, come on, that's mind-blowing when you begin to think about that. Five times more he talked about the subject of money than anything else in the Bible, than any other subject in his preaching. But what did he mean by lay up treasures? Well, here's what's interesting. Now, I, I'm a wordsmith. I bet some of you are as well. I actually, when I'm writing these sermons, I'm, I don't know if there's a week that goes by that I'm not getting onto an online thesaurus. Or if I'm reading a book off of Kindle, I'm often getting onto a thesaurus or a dictionary. You want to know what the word treasures means in the Greek? Now look up on the screen. There it is. It's the word that gives us thesaurus. It's a, what is a, a thesaurus? It's a storehouse of words. And the word was used. Now this is how they use this word in the Greek culture. They used this word to picture something that was being stacked up or laid out horizontally. I don't know if you were ever doing this when you were a kid. I always did this. My mom had a, um, she would go to the bank and we would collect pennies. My mom would be the person that in the Wawa parking lot, if there was a penny down in the parking lot, she would stop. She would get it. Some of us, we don't even stop. If it's not a quarter or more, you're not even slowing down. We would collect pennies. And then it was my job, often, <clears throat> to roll them in those little paper coin rolls. And so I would stack them ten at a time, five in a row. Well, this is the image that Jesus is using when he says, lay up treasures. That's the word thesaurus. Now, that's interesting, maybe. But look at the, the two words, lay up. This is where it really gets interesting. Here's what these two words are in the Greek. It's the same word. 
except now it's the verb form. Treasures is the noun form of the Greek word. Lay up is the verb form of the Greek word. And really what Jesus is saying is this. He's simply saying, do not treasure this world's treasures for yourself. Don't be stacking things up for you, things that are of this world, because they're not going beyond the grave. He's giving a warning. He's giving a command. These are all the commands of Jesus, almost to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Don't stockpile monies and possessions for your own purposes. That's simply what Jesus is saying. Now, he's going to give reasons for it. Very simple. I'm going to go through them. But this is what he's saying. Now, I've got to time out for a moment. You ready? I've got to put some boundaries on this and some caveats. Because you can get really crazy on this if you're not careful. Neither Jesus or the Bible has a problem with savings accounts or retirement funds or having nice things. He doesn't have a problem with this. Neither does the Bible. Well, Tim, how do you know that? This is where if you're going to be a student of God's word, you've got to bring in all of the Bible into your positions that you take. You can't just take one passage and create a doctrine out of it. You've got to, create all, you've got to bring in all of the scriptures. Proverbs 21.20 tells us, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Listen, pressure, precious treasure... Oil, by the way, which is a majorly expensive trade commodity. Wise men, they've got it. And they're saving them. They're saving them for rainy days. Foolish people devour it. They go through it. They don't care. They spend it as fast as they get it. Do you live paycheck to paycheck? Maybe your life is at a point where you kind of have to. Because of, you know, downturns in the economy, maybe some unfortunate things that happened to you with your house, maybe you had to replace the roof, maybe you lost your job for a while, you're trying to catch up. But listen, if you don't need to live paycheck to paycheck, yet you find yourself living paycheck to paycheck, you're the person devouring it. Well, the Bible goes on, by wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. So it's not having nice things. You know, there are Christians, by the way. There might even be here some, some here right now. That if you pull up with a nice car or you're wearing nice clothes, they, they look down on you. Well, you're, you're materialistic. Since when do you feel like you can have nice things? Listen, that's not the position of Jesus. What he's talking about, he's forbidding his disciples to stockpile things for their own selfish reasons. It's the pursuit of treasure for yourself. It's the wrapping of your life around it. It's the hoarding so that you get security out of it. If you've got a hoarder's mentality, then you are in direct conflict with the words of Christ. Proverbs 23, 4, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. So if you're working hard, you're taking every overtime hour you can so that you can get more stuff, well, you're in direct contradiction to this command. And Jesus gives us the reasons why we don't stockpile treasures or treasure treasures for ourselves on earth. Look what he writes, verse 19. Because it's where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. All right, so what's the backdrop on this? And you got to get this, you ready? You got you to understand the Jewish culture behind these words. There were three main ways that they measured wealth by three commodities. The first one was clothing. The second one was grain. And so that wealthy farmer who said, hey, I'm going to build more storehouses to get more grain. That was one of the ways that you gained status, one of the ways that you gained wealth. The third was precious metal, like gold and silver. So let's take the first one, clothing. Do you remember in the, in the, uh, in the Bible, in Kings, with Naaman the leper from Syria, 
and he comes over to Israel. He's trying to get a healing from the prophet Elisha for his leprosy, and he brought with him 10 changes of precious clothing. Often, now listen, often they would weave gold into their clothing. So he brings all of, this, all of these changes of raiment or changes of clothing in order to barter with Elisha for his healing. And of course, Elisha rejects it. Or do you remember Samson from the Old Testament who promised 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes to anyone who could solve his riddle? You see, clothes were one way wealth was measured in the Bible, but there was a problem. There was an enemy of cloth. Its name was a moth. And the best cloth was wool, which was especially vulnerable to moths who loved to eat it. They loved to eat the fabric. Now, here's the point. You ready? Now, that's maybe interesting. I find it interesting. But here's the real point. Moths never eat the clothes on your body. Now let that sink in for a moment, because this is where Jesus is going. What they attack are clothing in storage. You've never been on your way to the market and noticed, wow, my left sleeve is disappearing before my eye. They don't have anything to do with activity. They don't have anything to do with the clothing that you're actually using. It is stockpiled, hoarded. You have more than you need clothing. Now, let's just think for a second. Think of your closet. In your mind, open your closet. How many pairs of shoes do you have? How many pairs of clothing do you have? Pull out your dressers for a moment. What do you have in there that you really don't need? Do you have more than actually you even use? Now listen, that's treasuring treasures for yourselves. And Jesus is saying that my disciples don't do that. You must not do that. You must live. Hey, it's okay to have nice clothes. It's okay to have nice shoes. Do you have more than you need? Well, now you're in the area that it's not okay. Well, let's go on to the fact that moths have a divine purpose. Their purpose is to prevent us from hoarding. Their purpose is to prevent us from stockpiling clothes. Have you ever seen a moth that has a redemptive purpose? Why do you think God created them? See, all things have a purpose in God's scheme. But there was a second way they measured wealth, and that was grain. Many of our Bibles in these verses have a footnote. If you look in your Bible for a moment, yours may have it. And that footnote will tell you the word rust. Is, uh, they actually translate it to worm. So when we read this, do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust, there should be a little squiggly line and number, usually, or a letter. If you look at the bottom of your Bible, it will have the word worm, usually. The word nowhere in the Bible means rust. Here's the Greek word. It means eating or consuming. So the threats, by the way, when you have a granary or a silo or a, a storehouse for grain, the threats were rats or rodents, worms, insects, and rot. You had four main threats. Every farmer had to deal with them. And all four of those were threatening the longevity of that grain. And again, here's the issue. You don't ever have any of those four really being a threat to that which you need every day, that limited amount that you put in a basket and you bring into your kitchen. It's when you get the big barns and you get more than you actually need because it's a status symbol of wealth and it's a false sense of security. I'm going to have enough. I don't need to rely on the Lord. I don't need to depend on Him. I've got enough to retire on, 401k. I've got enough to be able to live for years comfortably. And all of a sudden, God sends rodents, insects, worms, and mold. Did you know that mildew in the Old Testament had a redemptive purpose? It forced people to the priest, where the priest reconnected them to God. You see, mildew is a symbol of the spreading nature of sin. 
that lodges in any of our hearts. And then there's a third way wealth was measured, gold and precious metals, which were especially susceptible to thieves who break in and steal. You know what they did often? You can see this in the New Testament. Sometimes they would take somewhere on their property at night and they would dig a hole. And they knew where it was. They would usually either by memory or mark it somewhere. They knew where that hole was. And in that hole, they would put precious, like a bag of precious metal, maybe gold coins or shekels. And then they would cover it back up and take the sod that they carefully cut away and put it right back on so that you could hardly ever know that it was even a hole dug. But more often, they actually had dirt floor floors to most of their common homes and they would find a place in that dirt floor and they would dig a hole and there is where they would put their precious metals and then they would cover it back up with the dirt. And if a thief learned about it, it's really not very difficult. Now listen, you, gotta, you can't think with modern ears and with modern minds of how their homes were. Their homes were often made out of straw and mud. And sometimes wood. But it was very easy to take a shovel or a pickaxe and dig your way through the side of your home and get that treasure and get away from there without anybody catching you. And again, we see the threat is once again for that which is buried, that which is not in use, that which is stored up, hoarded. So each of these threats, you've got moths, you've got rust, you've got thieves, Prove that stockpiled possessions, listen, this is the best thing I'm going to tell you in the first half of this message. Stockpiled possessions are always vulnerable commodities. I would write that down, lodge it in your mind. Stockpiled possessions are vulnerable commodities. That which you are using all the time, that which you have, which is enough for today, enough for this week, that is not usually the vulnerable commodity. You hoard it, you run the risk of losing it. But if you do your banking in heaven, then you can discover what that martyred missionary Jim Elliott once taught. And here's what he said. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now, can I encourage you to write that down? It's one of my favorite sayings that I've ever heard from any saint outside of the Bible. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. Can you imagine if Cornerstone truly lived what Jim Elliot taught? Now listen, you're probably thinking, especially if you don't know me, oh, he's after more money for the church. If you know me, you know I'm not, because I rarely ever ask for anything. What I'm, ask, what I'm asking for is for open hands, because that's what the Bible asks for. And letting God make us generous. Hearts that are free to give to all needs all around us. That's the way we ought to live. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. Now, I want to say this before we go to the second point. Some of you, many of you are in your early 20s. So let me, let me just ask you a question real quick. Have you learned the joy of cheerful giving? Now, you're going to see in that 360-degree giving series, if you go back and listen to it, I will always tell you, be cheerful and generous to your church. Why wouldn't you be? That is all through the Bible. So let me ask you, if you're in your 20s, and I'm going to ask it of any age, but if you're in your 20s, have you yet learned and are you yet living the Practice in the discipline of regular, generous giving to your church. Now, I'm not stopping there. But those are the training wheels of giving. 10% tithe. Listen, if you want to tithe, it's 23% in the Old Testament. It's not 10. It's 23%. And then you add on to that free will offerings. So there was often 28%. And by the way, that's not even yet the Roman tax. 
So if you want to learn how to give generously to your church, you really need to start with the training wheels 10% and then give generously from there. But listen, it's not just about giving to your church. If you've got a neighbor that is out of work, generous giving ought to flow from the Christian to the neighbor. If you've got a coworker whose husband has cancer and cannot work, generous giving flows from the disciple of Christ to that coworker. Wisely with discernment, but this is what generous giving does. This is how you lay up treasures in heaven rather than stockpiling and hoarding here on earth. I'm going to tell you this, and then we're going to move on. The best way that you can learn how to get money out of your heart, how you can get the love of money to not have a hold on you, is to give it generously away with discernment. That is by far the best way to do it. We're going to move on. You're going to see that a little bit more. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's all about the heart. And that's where we go with the second point. Two perspectives. The eye, Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Now, he just said that where our treasure is, our hearts will be also. Now he's linking the word heart to the eye. So when he says that the eye is the lamp, he's talking about the heart. And for some of you that might not know this, he's not talking about your blood-pumping organ. He's talking about the very center of a person that determines and motivates everything. There's a center of your personhood, and the Bible calls it your heart. It's where you think, it's where you feel, it's where you are motivated, it's where you make decisions. So above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So Jesus is taking us to the heart. Now let me say something really quickly. When you, are, when you begin to understand that the entire gospel aims at the heart, it will change the way you read the Bible. The heart must be transformed if my life is going to be different. If you've got a problem with addiction, hey, try harder. Get your accountability person. Set up the boundaries. Those are all good. You know what? It's a, an absolutely losing venture until Christ transforms your heart. He does it through the power of the gospel so that you begin to want what he wants and hate what he hates. If you've got a problem with your tongue and you cannot stop lying... And you cannot stop gossiping. Well, listen, you can try every technique known to man. If, until your heart is transformed, there is nothing but stop and start, win and lose. You will never be successful in the long term. The gospel aims at the heart, and this is where Jesus takes us. The eye, look what he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. The eye is the heart. It's the control center of a person. The moment that you trust in Jesus for salvation, God performs a spiritual heart transplant. Now listen, I want you to know this. He doesn't perform heart surgery, so to speak. He gives you a complete heart transplant. So Tim Ackley, before I put my faith in Jesus, I had a heart that was hard, a spiritual center that did not love God, that did not want to do the things of God, that would not and could not obey God. But the very moment I put my faith in him because the Spirit of God opened up my eyes, the moment I put my faith in Jesus, that he died on the cross to save sinners like me, and that he could save me, give me eternal life, but more than that, he could give me a new heart that has the ability, because the Spirit of God lives in it, to obey God, to be able to do things that God wants me to do, and stop doing things that he doesn't want me to do. The very moment I put my faith in Jesus, he took my old heart out, put a new heart in. That new heart, listen, it's not the old heart with bionics. It's not the old heart with better valves. It's not the old heart with a little bit better pumping mechanism that could get more spiritual fluid going through my spiritual veins. It's a completely new heart. And it has nothing in common to the old one. That one's dead. That one is gone. I have a new heart, and so do you, if you have put your faith in Jesus. 
And so now I can live with a new motivation, one that still struggles with sin because my old flesh wars against it, yours does as well, but one that is being conformed in greater and greater measure to Christ. So look what Jesus says. So if your eye, your heart is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? All right, now this gets a little bit clearer when you remember something. Now, you listen to this? This is really important. Jesus is preaching to disciples. Yes, there's a multitude around him. Yes, there are a lot of people that don't believe in him. In fact, there's a lot of people that are waiting to test him and trap him and eventually want to kill him. But he is preaching this sermon to his disciples who are the Talmudi, meaning the disciples, those who have followed him, left everything, now listen, and those whom he is making to be exactly like him. He's preaching to the disciples. And he's telling them that they can have an unhealthy heart. Yes, you can have a new heart that you allow to run after old things. So not every Christian is healthy. Not every Christian chooses good and godly motivations. It's an unfortunate possibility for us Christians to have a new eye or a new heart that is unhealthy, that produces warped, selfish perspectives. And if you have an unhealthy eye, you're going to look at the things of this world as having the potential to bring you happiness and satisfaction, and that's impossible. They cannot. But you'll look at them with that, and you'll begin stockpiling them. You'll begin wrapping your life around them. You'll begin hoarding them, pursuing them. So in order to view treasure... With the right perspective, the eye of the heart must be healthy. It's a word, by the way, that is translated single. Now look at your Bibles for a second. Do you see that word healthy? That word best means single. So why does it say healthy? Honestly, I think it's a bad translation. In other words, a healthy eye is, an, is a heart that is filled with single-mindedness. Focusing on God and his kingdom with our earthly treasures while being generous to others. You see, single, now look at me for a second. This is, this is critical. Single-mindedness is something that the power of wisdom creates in us. So if you want, if you're, if you're, double, if you're double-minded, here's what it looks like. You ready? Man, I love God. I love going to church. I know I'm a Christian. But man, most of the week, I'm pursuing the world. That's double-mindedness. Double-mindedness is believing one thing and doing another. It's doing, it, double-mindedness is doing the right thing with the wrong motives. That's double-mindedness. It's a war between what you know to do and what you are doing, what you ought to be doing and what you currently are doing. That's double-mindedness. The power of wisdom is to bring double-minded people into single-minded living so that I know what I ought to do, and by the grace of God, I'm doing it. I know what I want to do, and thank you, God, you're helping me to live that way. That's single-mindedness. So a healthy heart is a single-minded heart that is laying up treasures in heaven. It's focusing on God and his kingdom with our earthly treasures. That's what it means to have single-minded generosity. You're focusing on the kingdom of God with that which God has given to you. Whether that's money, excess clothing, an, an extra vehicle, a room in your house to let somebody live in for a while while they get on their feet, that's single-mindedness. That's a healthy heart. But Jesus says, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. See, an evil eye in Scripture meant a hoarding and selfish and coveting eye. I'll prove it to you. Proverbs 28, 22. A man, it says, a man with an evil eye hastens after wealth. This is what a double-minded evil eye does. It sees the things of the world and it hastens after it. 
hoping that it will bring security, hoping that it will bring joy, hoping that it will bring satisfaction. Jesus is warning about this. And it produces double vision where you focus on God and earthly possessions at the same time. You see, if I have a healthy eye, and I'll give you kind of an example of what it looks like. If I have a healthy eye, a single-minded eye, then the way that I view my house, we live in Forks, the way that I will view my house is this. This is God's house. And I've got to learn to remind myself every time I pull into that driveway, I am now entering not Tim Ackley's house, I am entering God's. He owns it. He gave me the ability to buy it. He gave me the blessing of living in it, but it's God's. So if God says, Tim, I've got some people that need a place to live. Yeah, I know it's going to kind of cramp your style. I know it's going to be another mouth to feed. I know that there's going to be some things that, uh, you know, you've got to actually put clothes on when you walk around the house. I always do. I don't know why I even said that. I feel like Matthew Millen right now. <laughs> if God says, I've got somebody that I want to live in my house with you, then a single-minded, healthy eye says, all right, God, let's let them in. See, a double-minded eye, an unhealthy eye, an evil eye, is looking at my house and saying, oh, there's somebody that needs to come in here. How much can I get out of that person? I could charge him this. That's maximum rent. See, a healthy eye sees your car as sometimes needing to be moved over to this person for a couple months until they could get back on their feet. A healthy eye sees, oh, you've got a log splitter. Yeah, they could break it. In fact, they'll probably do something to damage it. But you know what? It's mine, God says. I own that, by the way. I'm letting you steward it. And stewarding means you use it for my purposes. See, everything you have, Christian brother and sister, everything I have, it doesn't belong to you. It is God's. He owns everything, and he's entrusting it to you and me to steward it in order to use it for his purposes. And he has the right, he always does, with your open hand to reach in and say, you know what, I gave this to you for a while, the steward, but I'm going to move it over here now for that person. And if you grab your hand over it, that's an evil eye. That's double-mindedness. If you hold on to it in believing that, no, I worked for this. I bought it with my own money. God's going to whisper into you with the gospel, down into your heart, unlock your hand, open it back up. You need to steward all of your possessions for my kingdom. This is how you lay up treasures in heaven. You steward it for the purposes of God because they belong to him. Now, you remember the whole and entire sermon on the mount is to show the righteousness that Christ's disciples must have that surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. It's a righteousness that comes from a heart that's been made new in Christ. So the way that I am, listen, you got to get this, the way that I am as a Christian must be better than the morally nice person down the street. And it must evidence itself in right living. That is extraordinarily surprising to people of the world. It shines like a light in the darkness. You see, the Pharisees clamored after wealth. They absolutely loved possessions. But they loved them for their own benefit. But those who follow Jesus must see that what God has given us is to be enjoyed not only by ourselves, they are to be enjoyed, but by other people as well. So the disciple of Jesus must have a single-minded heart focused on eternity, laying up treasures there by being generous here. Lay up treasures there by being generous here because they are God's possessions We are stewarding them for his purposes. You know, Hudson Taylor, one of my favorite missionaries that has ever lived, he said this, the less I spent on myself and the more that I gave to others, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. Can I challenge you to try this? 
This is true. I've experienced this. The more generous, discerningly, and I've taught that, and I teach it again in 360-degree giving, the more generous we are discerningly, the happier we will be because the things of this world will grow strangely dim and the face of Jesus will come into clarity. But how terrible it is when the light that is in you is darkness, Jesus says. It will shipwreck disciples. It will render us useless in the kingdom, and we will be slaves to money, which, makes, which moves us to the third point today. Two masters, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Now, you remember, we saw two treasures, two eyes or perspectives, two kinds of hearts, now two masters. No one, Jesus says, can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Sermon on the Mount aims at the heart. You know that, right? I've been, I'm, pre- I'm pressing that truth into you. This sermon has one goal. It is to get to our hearts, the control center of our personhood, and change us. It serves as a warning, his sermon does. Now listen, you got to hear this. Clacks and bells, they might be going off for you right now. They may need to be going off for you right now. If you are living after the world and you are stockpiling treasures then you ought to be hearing the alarm bells. That's what this sermon does. It sets off the alarm. And it graciously warns us with a promise. It provides for us a mirror to see our own hearts. You see, what Jesus is showing us is our hearts. Do we treasure after the things of this world, or do we treasure after things of eternity? See, God is not like, I want you to really hear this because, man, I tell you what, one of the, uh, I get get mad even thinking about this. One of the worst things, let me rephrase that grammatically, one of the things that I detest the most are prosperity teachers and preachers. I cannot stand that stuff. It is so anti-gospel. You almost can point a picture, or paint a picture rather, that God is like smog from the hobbit, ruling over stockpile treasures of gold, treasure that he's not willing to part from anyone. So yeah, he's telling you lay up treasures in heaven because he wants more and more dwarvish gold up in, up in eternity. That is so not what God is. That is not what he's teaching. It's not what Jesus means. He already owns everything. Now you understand that, right? I mean, I get, listen, if you're going to walk out of here with only one thought— I think I would probably encourage you to have this thought. You don't own anything. You don't even own your body. It's a temple for the Holy Spirit. So the things that you're doing to your body, you better clear that with the Lord. Because it's his house. It's where the Spirit of God lives. So no, you don't have, I'm going to be really modern, you don't have permission to get a sex change. You don't have permission to claim gender dysphoria. You don't have a permission, to listen, to even get a tattoo until you bring it to the Lord. God, do you want this tattoo on your body? It's your temple. Until you understand, until I thoroughly understand that everything we have is God's, you will not be unlocked for eternal living, powerfully evidencing on earth. Everything is God's. Everything. He owns it all. He isn't telling us to lay up treasures in heaven for his sake. He's warning us for our own sake. Stockpiling, listen, here it is. Let's bring it back. Stockpiling more than you can use, treasuring this earth's treasures, will enslave you. You will be in figurative chains no longer ruling your own life. You're going to be a servant of money. That's why John Calvin said, where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. See, if God begins putting it on your heart, maybe even now during this sermon, to give more away, to use more of his stuff for his purposes, then you've got to even now make that decision to get moving. And if you feel that familiar resentment, 
that anger, that anxiety, that panic. Now you better flee to the cross and say, God, by your grace, I'm going to need your help. Because this is a war that I know I'm going to lose if you don't help. See, there's two competing masters, Jesus says. You've got money master, and you've got God the master. And the money master will tell you convincingly that giving generously is divesting, but God's going to tell you it is investing. There's a totally different trajectory in that. The money master tells you to stockpile. You don't know what's going to happen. We live in economic uncertainty. But God tells you, don't worry about the economy. I own everything. Give generously and trust me. I'll take care of you. Your future is glorious. See, if you begin to devote yourself to money, pursuing it, here's what's going to happen inwardly. You're going to begin despising God. You cannot love two masters. But if you devote yourself to God, then you're going to despise the hold of money over your life. And you will begin generously using it and stewarding it for God's perfect purposes. But let me finally answer, and I'm going to come to the end of this message. Let me answer an important question. How, how do you actually lay up treasures in heaven? Now, I would imagine you're wanting to know that. I know I do. I, mean, I want to go into heaven with a lot of treasures ahead of me. Not because I'm going to be some wealthy citizen of a heaven and flout it over everybody and flaunt it. That's not what it is. It's those treasures are going to be ones that I give to God. It's going to be ones that I lay at his feet. It's going to be ones that I will have for eternity to remember what grace he gave to me to live like this. This is not an ode to Tim Ackley, Treasures in Heaven. This is an ode to Jesus Christ. He has unlocked my heart to be divested of this earth and to be invested in eternity. That's what I want. Slowly it's happening, and I trust it is for you. But how do you do this? How do you lay up treasures in heaven? Well, listen to what Pastor Paul tells young Pastor Timothy. As for the rich... In this present age, now listen, look at me for a second. That's just about everybody in this room. Don't compare yourself to the millionaires or the billionaires. Compare yourself even to, do you have more than you need? If so, you're rich. So as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now watch this. They are to do good. That's us. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Here's how you do it. He answers it. Thus, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. If you want really to truly live life even here, here's how you do it. You do good to others. You are rich in good works. You are generous, and you are always ready to share. Those three things are ways that you lay up treasures in heaven. And on earth, you will have a supremely satisfying life. So you can send treasures ahead. And how do you do it? Now, this is, the, this is my favorite part of the message, and I'm almost done. How do you do it? How do you actually get treasures into the economy bank of eternity? You give generously to God's kingdom. Now, I hope you hear this. I'm going to really probably make some of you upset. I don't mean to, but I want to kind of provocatively get you thinking. Some of the charities that you might be giving to end on earth. They have no ability to reach into eternity. And some of the charities that you might be giving to are actually opposing the kingdom of God. When Denise and I give to anybody or any organization, we ruthlessly examine what are they doing? Are they building the kingdom of God? If they are not, we don't give. And if they are, we want to give generously. But listen, if you want your, your treasures to go into heaven, you give into the kingdom of God. 
In other words, you give the way the Bible says. Because nothing of this earth's material will last forever. You lay, you lay up treasures in heaven by investing. Here it is. I'm going to make this so simple, and I'm just about done. You will lay up treasures in heaven by investing in what is indestructible. Listen, if you wanted to make it beyond the grave when you're dead, then it has to be indestructible. And there's only two things that I'm aware of that are indestructible. People and the Word of God. That's the only two things on earth that I'm aware of that are indestructible. So if you want to give and invest into eternity, you invest into people and you invest into ministries that are centered on the Word of God. Heaven and earth, Matthew says, Jesus preaches, will pass away, but my words will not pass away. They're eternal. Listen, this will never pass away. So if you want to give, don't give to an organization that's not going to further the word of God or benefit and bless people and justice issues and true issues that they need life in. Certainly don't give to an organization that whose philosophy and beliefs are contrary to the word of God. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, Jesus says, Matthew 10, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. It's indestructible. When you give to people who are truly in need, that is an indestructible treasure you just laid ahead of you. And you will find it again in eternity. You see, we lay up treasures in heaven when our giving and our generosity is attached to people and God's word. That's why Proverbs 19 says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he, God, will repay him for his deed. When when will he repay him? Not always on earth. There will be an eternal reward. Martin Luther once said, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. So can we close with this thought? There are two treasures. Which one are you pursuing? There are two eyes, two types of hearts, single-minded or double-minded. Which one characterizes you? And there are two masters, the money master and the king of the kingdom, Jesus Christ. Which one has your allegiance? Which one gets your pursuit? Can I encourage you to lay up treasures in heaven, invest in the word of God, ministries that are all about it, invest in people who are truly in need. Be ready to share generously with them. Let the gospel examine your heart. What am I running after? What do I think is bringing me happiness and security? We're going to see that the next time we're in the kingdom of the king, the king of the kingdom series, sermon series. And finally, who's my master? Who has my heart's allegiance? Are there changes that need to be made immediately in your life? Here's what's going to happen. You're either going to make those changes immediately or you're going to say, I'll get around to it, and you're not going to make them. It's a time even now to come to the Lord and say, I need to change and I need your grace to do it. Here's what I'm willing to do, God, to make you the king of my kingdom.